Hey, this is Feist, and you're listening to Talk House. I have a new podcast series called Pleasure Studies. It's a storytelling project that looks at the common ground under our common struggles. It's not an interview series. I handed the mic over to people. We found them from all walks of life to talk about the places where they face themselves. Hard times are made harder by hiding out in that feeling that we're alone. This podcast seeks to look at how we're not. The Pleasure Studies, presented by Erios and Talkhouse. Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Right here. Aisha Tyler. A tribe Called Quest. Fred Armisen. Fritz Paul. Javier Munoz, Seth Meyers. Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim. And you're listening to the Talk House Podcast. Ow! What is up? I'm your host, Elia Einhorn. Welcome back to the Talk House Podcast. Today, I'm joined from the Windy City by... Josh Modell, and today it's the jungly hot city. Thank you very much. Oh, man. One thing I do not miss about Chicago, there are many that I do, is the stifling heat that descends in the summer. It almost makes you want to move to Los Angeles like our guests today. Segway! <laughs> On the show today, two of Ambient's leading lights, Juliana Barwick and Mary Lattimore. This episode of the show is recorded backstage at Formfest in Arcasanti, Arizona. Mark, the producer, and I flew out, glamped, and recorded six fantastic conversations, many with performances, including this one. So make sure to keep it locked after their talk for an amazing collaborative improvisation. Yeah, these conversations were recorded in the conservatory at Form Festival, which was presented by Patreon and Pulp Arts. Yeah, and they also made an amazing video of the music portion of today's show. You can catch that at Form Fest's YouTube channel. Now, Josh, I've got to say, I've been following Juliana Barwick's career for a number of years. She is, and I say this with no hyperbole, one of my favorite artists that's working right now. Juliana is an experimental musician who came out of New York. She's recently relocated to Los Angeles, first signed to Asthmatic Kitty, the label that most people know as Sufjan Stevens' label. She later found a home on the fantastic Dead Oceans. Yeah, Dead Oceans released her latest album, 2016's Will. A fantastic record that saw her touring festivals and playing shows with everyone from Seeger Rose to Angel Olsen. She's also done a Radiohead remix and a collaborative record with Alado Negro. One of my favorite of Juliana Barwick's records, is definitely 2013's Nepenthe. From that record, let's check out a clip of Look Into Your Own Mind. It's beautiful stuff, right, Josh? Yeah, and honestly, if you like Juliana Barwick's music, you probably like the music of her old friend Mary Lattimore, who's a harpist, who's trained in the classics, but best known for also doing kind of ambient, beautiful, textural sounds, as well as being known for collaborations with indie rock luminaries. Yeah, I mean, just looking at her last year or so of releasing records, Josh, it's insane. She put out three LPs plus another whole LP of remixes, including one by Juliana Barwick. That run saw her most recent record, New Rain Duets. That's with Mac McCon from Super Chunk and Merge Records. She also released a joint with Meg Baird. 
Megs from Espers and Hair and Oblivion. Yeah, and she's played live with Kurt Vile, Thurston Moore, Steve Gunn, Arcade Fire. She's kind of everywhere. Now, Josh, Mary's main harp is a 47-string Lion and Healy harp. I only know this because I got to see her play at Pitchfork's Midwinter at the top of the Grand Staircase at the Art Institute of Chicago. Strangely enough, this seems to be a sort of normal thing for Mary Lattimore. (laughs) This is someone who can switch from rock clubs to museums to classical concert venues at the drop of a hat. That's pretty incredible for somebody who plays such a kind of unwieldy, beautiful instrument. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You got to wonder if she wished she took up the flute. (laughs) Let's check out a clip of Mary Lattimore's track, Mary, You Were Wrong. Such a gorgeous sound. And of course, you can see why Mary and Juliana are such huge fans of each other's work. Yeah, and as you'll hear in this conversation, fans of each other personally. They're good friends who have gone on tour together. They have great stories. They're obviously super comfortable with each other and ready to chat about a ton of great stuff. Yeah, they get into a lot here. We hear about how difficult it can be as an artist to impress your parents and how sometimes it takes your dad working your merch booth for them to see how successful you're becoming. Yeah, I thought that was amazing. Juliana talks about an upcoming LP that she made with No Such Thing. I'm very excited to hear that. I did not know before this talk that that collaboration was in the works. Yeah, and these two also talk about a collaboration that they want to do together. And at the end, you almost maybe hear them make a date to record. Yeah, and we get a taste of what that record might sound like at the end of this podcast when we hear their improvisation together. Their chat also takes in making up stories about your art for the press, hanging with an oracle friend of groupers, creating a 24-hour-long score... And of course, a dead corpse that puts babies to sleep. (laughs) Should we run the tape? Yeah, let's hear it. Hi, I'm Juliana Barwick. Hi, I'm Mary Lattimore. What's going on? What have you been working on these days? Well, Mary, I have been working on, most recently, a piece commissioned by the LA Phil for their ensemble called Wild Up. And... uh, there will be a show called Noon to Midnight at the Disney Hall. So I just wrapped up writing that piece. And it'll be me and piano and vocals, six violins, three violas, two cellos, and a bass. Wow, beautiful. Yeah. Have you ever played with an ensemble like that? The only time that I can remember is... um, I played in Indianapolis about five years ago with an 80-person children's choir. What? And why music? Crazy. 80 little kids. 80 kids. Singing your music? It was um, on the Nepenthe tour. 80 voices. Wow. That's a lot of Malayas. What does that mean? Malaya. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's beautiful. Wow. Mm-hmm. And other than that, working on a new record mm-hmm. with no such thing. Jason. Jason. What about you? Oh, well, I want to hear more about Disney Hall. So 
how did it feel when you got the invitation to write a piece for the LA Phil and at Disney Hall? What a feeling, right? It was very cool. Yeah. So yeah. you just got the email out of the blue or something or a phone call. Yeah, they thought of me for the noon to midnight that event. Is so cool. Wow. The email came about a year and a half ago. So it's been kind of yeah. a long time coming. But um yeah. It's an honor. I mean, I, I've only lived in L.A. for a little over two years, so it was, it was a really cool kind of first commission I've had in L.A. Because right. even though I moved to L.A. from New York, first couple of things I did after that were New York-based once I moved to L.A., so I was back in New York doing stuff. So this was kind of the first L.A.-based thing. Yeah, so. that's a huge milestone, I feel like. Yeah, I'm really excited about performing in the Disney Hall. Oh, wow. Yeah. I bet your family is really excited too. Yeah. For that. Parents are coming. That's like a parents thing. <laughs> you know, Definitely. They, it's like, whoa. That's when you when they feel like, whoa, she's not just goofing off. <laughs> she's made it finally. Yeah. Like, wow, she's a working musician. I mean, I'm just projecting there, but I feel like that's a real... It takes a while. Yeah. Do you think your parents feel that way about you? Um, they have to. You're the I hardest mean, working musician I know. Lately, they feel more like that, I think, but it took a while. <laughs> yeah. I think I think most like just artists in general, it takes a long time for their parents to kind of, you know, understand what their kids are doing if it's yeah. not, you know, just kind of like a regular job. Yeah. Why don't you get a real job? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. It's funny. But my dad, when I was on tour with Parquet Courts, we played Asheville where my family's from. And my dad sat down at the merch table and he was helping me out with the merch. And just to see the the people that were coming to buy merch, I feel like that was a really validating experience when dad was like, oh, they they like what she's doing (laughs) you know it's kind of like a okay well I guess she's got a thing now yeah (laughs) she's got her own thing going on yeah oh maybe she's making some money oh I see the num the numbers yeah (laughs) the merch numbers yeah that was cool that is cool I've taken my dad on tour a few times as you know yeah buddy Barwick (laughs) yeah he actually helped me do that first overseas tour that I did so long ago. So it's been cool to take him along to, you know, see what it's like. Because I feel like, I feel like your parents don't really understand what it's like until they're there and kind of experience it with you. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like what it's like to, you know, gear yourself up to play a show every day and all yeah. that kind of stuff. It's, it's like work. It's yeah. a job. Totally. I mean, my mom is a harpist and your mom is also a musician. So they probably understand the like anticipation and the kind of nervousness or something like that. Maybe they understand kind of the psychological preparation for playing a show. But, mm-hmm. you know, as far as like the hustle and kind of the getting there and the touring part, maybe yeah. they don't understand as yeah, much. It's, harder than you think sometimes mm-hmm. but mostly just fun do yeah. you still have fun yeah, on tour you it. tour I'm more addicted. than anyone I know <laughs> I'm addicted to is it is it fun for you oh for sure I love it 
It's yeah. fun for me too. Mm-hmm. It's been a while. Yeah. I mean, after you finish the record, you're going to be jumping back in there too. Yeah. I'm going to miss you. <laughs> well, you're going to finally know what it feels like <laughs> to be left behind all the time, Mary. <laughs> well, <laughs> we take turns, I guess. So what's next for you? You put out basically three records in the last year, right? I mean, you put out your solo record, Hundreds of Days. Yeah, last year, last May. Like a year May ago. 18, yeah. And you put out a record with Meg Baird. Mm-hmm. Ghost Forests. And that when was... When did that come out? That was like the fall. That was um, October, I think. Mm-hmm. And a record with Mac from Super Trunk, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that came out in March. Anything else I'm missing? Well, the remix record that where you did a remix and all of our friends well, did remixes, yeah, that was kind different. of a digital thing. It's a little different. I, that was out of my hands. I didn't do anything on that. Yeah. <laughs> so that was Do cool. you enjoy collaborating with people as yes. much as doing your own thing? Is it super different for you or how do you feel about I that? I just like it. It's like body of work kind of thing, you know, where it's just like I like doing everything, you know, playing solo, playing other people's music, playing scores, playing in ensembles, like even playing classical music, playing in duos, improvising, all of it. It's just like a mishmash of things to get better at, like little challenges. And mm-hmm. What about you? Um, I haven't collaborated as much as you have. I don't, I don't think, I mean, I definitely haven't. I mean, I made the record with Alado Negro, Roberto, which, you know, not a lot of people know about, but I really oh, love that one. record. Yeah, that's Ombre. Really um, so, you know, for me, it's, I, my, my music making has always been very minimal and like following my nose and teaching myself programs with a manual, you know, or, or whatever. So whenever I sit down with someone like, Roberto or Alex Summers mm-hmm. or, you know, no such thing, Jason. It's it's just, uh, it's like a wonderful learning experience to see what applications they use and like, you know, just even like weird uh, rituals and environments people yeah. create to get creative. Yeah. Which I find really interesting, like what things people like to have around. Like Alex's special chocolate bars. Special chocolate bars and foot pillow. Foot pillow. The crocheted foot pillow (laughs) to put his cute little feet on. Hi, Alex. (laughs) Yeah. Or uh, I noticed when I was recording with Jason... He has this like monitor, like TV screen above his, you know, computer monitor that he's working on. And he's just playing films on that screen above his computer screen. So there's just kind of this like, he's not really looking at it, but it's up there and it's kind of like flickering. And yeah, I just find that like so interesting. Are there any kinds of environments or rituals or things you work out whenever you need to get creative? Mm, I don't think so. I mean, a lot of times I need to get really sad. (laughs) Same. I think definitely, I think definitely like it's sort of like a little exorcism or like a little, um, you know, I mean, 
that's the way of kind of getting the feelings out. You know, if you're feeling sad, then you sit down and you um, play whatever you have as your kind of tool. And man, do I ever feel grateful for having an outlet like that. You know, I think about that a lot. It's like, whoa, some some people might not have that way of like, just like getting it out. And an outlet. Of, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I feel really lucky that I can use music as that kind of like cathartic kind of tool. Definitely. Well, I feel like I, I did that kind of thing even as a kid. Mm -hmm. So this is just like kind of like a glorified version of it. Yeah. When I sit down with all my machines <laughs> and I'm recording it, mm -hmm. it's not, I mean, it's just, I have the machines there. And, but when I was like four years old and singing out yeah. the window, you know, just making stuff up and making myself cry. Mm -hmm. I made myself cry all the time <laughs> singing when I was a kid. Like sensitive little kids. I was the same way. Just like little weird, like loner sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I just always had that feeling, but it was mostly from just like a joy of sound or something mm. because you know, he's saying in church all the time when I was a kid. And I remember just being moved by beautiful sound. Oh, that's and it's cool. just like carried over into How awesome. This. Yeah. That is so gorgeous. Did, did, did you do that kind of thing when you were a kid? I did. I mean, but I was more like, it was more like melancholia, you know, like writing little poems and then like hiding them <laughs> underneath the tree, like weird weird shit like uh -huh. oh my dog is the only person who understands me like that kind of thing you know yeah of course I do it was my sheep named Bessie <laughs> yeah I don't know I mean I feel like that that's probably why maybe we play solo a lot too it's sort of like a carryover yeah, I feel like I feel like when I collaborate with someone, I'm not really tapping into that mm -hmm. as much, or maybe hardly at all. Yeah, it feels pretty separate mm -hmm. because when it's just me, or even when um, you know when I was working with Alex, or I'm working with Jason, like even when I brought Jason some stuff I made at home, I made some stuff at home and I was alone and it had been a long time since I just plugged everything and let it rip and I ended up totally crying, <laughs> like, like, like a total freak. And then bringing it to his place and showing it to him. But it's like very personal that the, the solo music. Yeah. Do you feel that way about your solo music? Definitely. It's really personal. And then I feel like especially akin to people that can understand that, like listeners who listen to it and are like, this really speaks to me or something. I feel like maybe it's like, you know, the very core of their heart or something that's really hearing the personal sort of solitude where it's coming from. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's Do like you? such a human feeling. Do you feel like you like to explain your compositions or do you like to leave it up to the listener or is it kind of a mix? Kind of a mix, I guess. I mean, I definitely do like to explain on stage because I feel like it kind of prepares people to be in a mindset or something like that. I mean, it's more like cinematic or something for the person to listen to it like live. But um, at the same time, it's cool when people make up their own little 
narrative with it too. Mm-hmm. I just, I guess I've, I've really like had to get used to people taking it to, you know, like songs that are so kind of brutal to me and very personal to me, like them taking it to the yoga studio. <laughs> you know, I've had to really get used to that, you know, like, oh, I listen to this at the office all the time. People take it to where they need to take it, I guess. And if it's not like where I want them to take it, I have to make a compromise there, you know, because it's mm-hmm. helping them in some other way, like where they're like, this really put my baby to sleep or something. I'm like, this song is about a dead corpse, you know? <laughs> I'm like, your baby is sleeping. <laughs> cool baby. <laughs> I don't know. How do you feel about it? Because you don't really have like specific like lyrics. I mean, that's the thing about playing instrumental music or playing music with kind of like washy lyrics or something like that sound mm-hmm. based lyrics where, yeah, where it's wordless like, yeah. stuff. I mean, even my songs with words and then it's just kind of like gobbledygook. Yeah. It's like someone said once it was the perfect thing. It was like, it sounds like something you would say in your sleep. Oh, that's beautiful. You know? Yeah. How that you'll like yeah. hear someone talking in their sleep and it is just <laughs> super weird. <laughs> so not my strong suit. But um, I feel like I definitely... Leave it up to the listener. Mm-hmm. You don't feel protective of like where they're supposed to take it or something. Not really. Not really. I mean, I I like to listen to music, that, like wordless music, and apply it to my own world and what's going on with me. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's easy for me to do that because I I don't even really know if I can think of a song that... I made where it's like, oh, I made that song right after X happened. I don't, I don't have any memory of that really. I just have memories of feelings from environments that I was in when I was making a record. Oh yeah. So when I listened to Nepenthe, like landscape style, totally. When I listened to Nepenthe, you know, there's even like a moment during one of the songs where I can hear a car going by Alex's house. And I just, I heard that every time I was over there and it just takes me right back. Oh, that is cool. I think I'm getting off the topic. Time capsule. Yeah. But for me, I feel almost kind of like I don't want to share in a way, Mm -hmm. like what the meanings of things are. On top of like letting people interpret it how they want to, I almost kind of feel like I want to keep it to myself. Yeah, that's cool. And also, you know, like every time I've explained what a record was about or who it was about, it's been total BS. Like I just make something (laughs) up because of course, of course, everything is about like, you know, a specific time in my life or someone passed away during the making of it. But I don't want to talk about that to the press. So I just make stuff up. Yeah. How do you feel about that? I mean, I feel the opposite. I feel like this is like... This is interesting. (laughs) Wow, I don't know. I definitely feel like since it's instrumental music, I don't know. It's like this is a language that I want people to understand for me, you know? 
I mean, feeling under- paint a picture, like, it's like a specific yeah. picture or mm-hmm. a memory of yours. Yeah, I like you're like wah wah. <laughs> maybe by it's the a ocean. little narcissistic or something, it's but not it's at like, all. It's you could like say a little impressionistic. I, yeah, you could say that about how I feel about it too. Mm-hmm. You know, like oh, you, you know, you're not really sharing if you don't share. What really did, share? Somebody said this about us one time. Like, oh, it was um, Autumn from. Albuquerque. Yeah. She said, you're the blah and you're the mysterious one. She said that you're the mysterious one and I'm the, eh. You're going to say it? I don't remember. Golden retriever. Golden retriever. I know. I'm the golden retriever and you're the mysterious one. I think that's probably it. Like, I don't think anyone who knows me thinks I'm mysterious. (laughs) I mean, but who knows? But maybe, hmm, maybe there is something to that. That's interesting that you want to keep it like a little secret. Autumn's an oracle. Yeah, she's wild. <laughs> she saw into our souls that night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with we the were aid on a, of. Um, oh, hmm? you're about to say it. No. Yeah, we were on tour. I was my, about to say we were on weed. Oh, oops. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Hi, mom. <laughs> oh. We. <laughs> We uh, were on tour and my car had a major problem. Remember that sound? It was it like sounded dragging. Like, it, it sounded like a cooler was being dragged under the car. And then once I said that out loud twice, I started getting Instagram sponsored <laughs> coolers and Yetis oh God, and igloo uh, objects right. for sale. Wow. Well, yeah, but we were playing Albuquerque. It didn't end up being a cooler. It ended up being a very expensive part. What was it again? I don't remember, but it was quite expensive. It was very expensive. So we were in Albuquerque at the show. Yeah, the cooler was being dragged to the show. We played the show and then we knew that we had to take care of it in the morning. So we went to a spot. That first night we stayed in a hotel. Mm-hmm. We got Manny Petties the next day. Oh, yeah. And we had that guacamole. <laughs> but... Then the next day we had to get the car worked on and we had met this woman, Autumn, who lived in Albuquerque through Liz Harris Grouper. We had met who? just kidding. Liz. We met Autumn here at Oh yeah. Um at Forum last year yeah. with Liz, who was playing. And so we remember like, oh, Autumn lives in Albuquerque. Wow. And we have this day off when the car is getting messed up or getting repaired. The car is messed up. <laughs> car is getting repaired. We had this whole day to just do nothing. In Albuquerque. In Albuquerque. We didn't know anyone except for this woman. And then we called her and it was so much fun. And she was so, she was such an interesting person. We went to her work at a lavender farm. Yeah. It was also like a deluxe historic hotel. Mm-hmm. She made us those cocktails that were lavender based and we went back to her house. Yep. And then she told you that you were very mysterious. <laughs> Pretty fun. <laughs> and that you were a golden retriever. Yep. Did you know that the golden retrievers are my favorite kinds of dogs? Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> Did you know that? No. So everything makes sense in my life right now. All coming together. <laughs> <laughs> we've we've had some good tours for sure. Yeah. Well, I guess it's only been two, really. Yeah, we're getting ready to go to Tasmania, New Zealand, Australia, and Japan. That's going to be a good trip. Yeah. What's good about this trip is we have some days 
to hang in every place. Mm-hmm. So I figure, you know, as long as you're all the way down there, you might as well check out the place, which right. I, Tasmania. So many tours. I've, I just like I'm in a city a day. You yeah, too, right? Totally. Yeah. And it's beautiful and it's fun, but it's like, you don't really get to check stuff out too much, mm-hmm. you know? So I think that's going to be really, yeah, really cool. It's going to be winter, I guess, there. Is it? Mm-hmm. Awesome. I love wearing coats and scarves and whoobies. <laughs> so what's next for you? Um, opening for Stephen Malcolm's a couple shows. Next week. It's cool. I saw him on an airplane recently. What was he doing? He was wearing sunglasses (laughs) on the plane. Yeah. But, you know. He's got a style. He's pretty cool. Yeah. Gene Kelly of Indie Rock. Grace Kelly of Indie Rock. Or Grace (laughs) Kelly. Or maybe the Kelly Clarkson of Indie Rock. (laughs) Um, Have you met him before? Yeah. Okay. So I hung out with him um, through Kurt Bile in Amsterdam. Um, when Meg and I were opening for Kurt in Amsterdam, he was there with the Jicks, um, had a day off and came to sit in with Kurt a little bit. And Meg and I said hello to him and he was like, yeah, hey. And very like, you know, pretty casual. And then we do our sound check and then, we come out of sound check back to our green room and he's just there eating our snacks, sitting on the couch in our green room. And he's like, I didn't realize who you guys were. Like, I didn't realize you were the openers and that you're Kurt's buddies and stuff. And um, then he told us all about the plot of A Star is Born that he had just seen in Amsterdam. And he was real cool. It just felt like we'd known him forever. So that's um, awesome to hear. Yeah. Like what a guy, like what a cool guy, just really easy breezy person and smart and terrific so I'm excited to open for him um next week and then I have a little tour with Meg three days and where's that gonna be that's LA Santa Cruz and San Francisco yep a little Cali tour yeah a little Cali tour awesome yeah that'll be fun and then then our tour yeah Beautiful. Next week I'll be in New York where my biggest project from the last year will finally launch. And what was that? That was making um, like what will be a, like a 24-hour score for a new hotel called Sister City. In New York City, it's an ace hotel, but it's like a different vibe. And... Um, I worked with Microsoft to create this crazy score that will be generative and ever-changing throughout the day. And there's like a camera pointed at the roof reading information and the AI, the Microsoft AI detects those events. So like plane, cloud or whatever. And then it filters through this generative music program that the music technologist on the project wrote will trigger the sounds that I made. And it's what I've been working so hard on for the last, I don't know, nine months or maybe more. So it's finally launching next Thursday and we're going to have a big old party on the rooftop. But it's 
awesome because it hasn't launched yet. So I haven't heard, you know, it working and I haven't heard, you know, I'll be listening for like, oh, was that an airplane? Yeah. It's like, wow. meow, meow. Oh, what was Is that? Is it vocals Bert? and keyboard and stuff? Yeah. It's like synth sounds and wow. vocals and stuff. So, yeah. So that's been what I've been working on the hardest for the last year. And and now just really starting work on a new record with No Such Thing, Jason. Mm-hmm. And going on tour with you soon. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll see you in New York. Really? Maybe. Yeah. On May I, 16th? Well, I got asked to play there May 19th. So are you sticking around? Ooh, yeah. Cool. For a bunch of days. That'd be cool. Nice. Have you played form a lot? How many This years? is my fifth year. Oh, wow. I think 2014 was the very first year. I only didn't play two years ago, so 2017. So I've done a little something every other year. So, yeah, I love it. Mm-hmm. How did you get invited to play the first year? I'm good friends with the 100 Waters kids. How did you meet them? I met them at Legas Who. Oh, nice. In Utrecht. Uh, Legas Who is uh, my booking agent, Bob's festival in Utrecht, which I, I've played at least five times by now. And uh, Hundred Waters and I played a show together. Fun. And that was in, I think, like November 2012. And, um, and yeah, we stayed in touch. Nice. You know, I'm going to play it this year. Did I tell you that? No. Guess with who? Guess who? <laughs> William <Liz>? William Tyler. <gasps> Yay, wow. Willie T. I love We're Willie. We're going to do a collaboration. We've never really done that before, I guess. Like improv? Yeah. Is it is it one shot? Or are you guys going to do that more? One shot. Wow. <laughs> Get your tickets now for the guess who. <laughs> yeah, that's it was cool. To be asked and never been there at Utrecht. I've never been there before, I don't think. It's so beautiful. It has like the canals, like kind of like Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has the canals and everyone rides bikes everywhere. And it's very gorgeous and twinkly lights. Um, I think it. I've been there probably like 10 times over oh, the years. Cool. It's so wonderful. Yeah. My friend um, Martin, who played um, cello on Will oh, yeah. and then toured with me, he lives there. He's great. So we've um, rehearsed there quite a bit. Yeah. That's how I feel about Ghent. I mean, I feel like I kind of have a cozy relationship with Ghent um, because of booking agent who lived there and like um, kind of reminds me of that, like lots of bikes, lots of canals, twinkly lights. I don't think I've ever been there. sort of home base mode. Yeah. Nice. It's cool. I like being here. I mean, this is pretty far out. This landscape, it totally is insane. Um, it's cool to stand and just see, like, you know, sky all around, mm-hmm. nothing obstructing it, and the the clouds change and the colors change, and all the different kind of plants. Yeah, around. I'd like to come here when there's no festival and it's just like I've never done that. Empty. Yeah, I want to do that. Mm-hmm. That would be a dream. And to see who lives out here just normally, you know? Yeah. Um, you'll probably play play next year, right? I don't know. Maybe our duo will. 
Oh, that'd be fun. Should we name our duo? (laughs) I don't know. What do you want to name it? Mysterious Retriever. (laughs) Weird Finger. (laughs) Mic drop. (laughs) Maybe Weird Finger. (laughs) Why don't you explain that? I don't think I can right now. (laughs) Weird Finger is already a band. No, it's not. With Ergo. Oh, that's true. (laughs) Well, we need to practice. Do you like living in Los Angeles? How do you feel about your life there? I love it now. I was conflicted for my first two years because I lived in New York for 16 years. I know you lived in Philly for 13, right? Yeah, it's a long Time. So it's a big adjustment. I I had kind of not a hard time. I mean, what really, I mean, I knew I wanted to move there mostly because of weather. Right, same. And beauty. Mm-hmm. But I also knew that you were going to be there and Alex and Yenzi and so many other people. And yeah. so the, the crew has always been so good there, but it took me a couple of years to kind of, for it to click. And then I feel like, this past December, like a bunch of things clicked and I feel really, really good there. And I'm at a point, 2017 was my first year in LA away from New York. And every time I flew into New York and saw it, I'd cry and just think, what have I done? So that took a minute to get past that. But Mm -hmm. the thing is, I go to New York all the time for stuff. So I feel like I get my New York fix. Yeah, I get my Philly fix too. But it'll always be my favorite city. And I just, I lived there for so long and Mm -hmm. it just, it totally changed my life. What about you? How do you like LA? I love it. It's delicious. (laughs) (laughs) It's like just so technicolor. It's so beautiful. It really is. I don't have to wheel that harp down the icy sidewalk ever again. No, you don't. It feels so great just like leaving the harp in the car sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) Because the weather is just fine. I don't know. It's it's totally like it suits my personality too, Sunseeker. Yeah, me too. I I would go to LA to play shows or whatever and every time I was there I just, I couldn't help. I was just... You know, yeah. when I walked outside, it was just like, this is the most happy making weather cool. and I need it in my life. Let's not get too happy though. Definitely. <laughs> we have to be like artistes still, like brooding artistes with tons of crap that we need to get out of our, our psyches. Yeah, I know. You promise? <laughs> oh yeah, there's no doubt. Um, cool. So do you think we'll ever make a duo record together? Yeah. When? Are we ever going to hang out ever again after this interview? (laughs) (laughs) Probably, um, let's make it like next month or something. Are you around? Yep. I just, I got those, um, monitors now, you know? Yeah. So... Let's use them. Let's do it. Cool. Jamming. <laughs> cool. Cool. Nice well, talking to you. It Let's was hang okay. Out. It was all right. <laughs> See ya. Okay, bye. See ya now. Bye. <laughs>
Juliana Barwick, Mary Lattimore, thank you so much for joining us for a TalkHouse podcast, conversation and improvisation. We want to give a big thanks to Form Festival for inviting TalkHouse out. Listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, definitely make sure to check out the first two that we've released in collaboration with Form. That's Fred Armisen with Snail Mail and Mary Lynn Rice Cub and Robert Glasper with VU Farka Toure. Subscribe to get future episodes recorded at Form, including Kelsey Liu with Yursa Daily Ward, Pelican and American Football, and Melanie Fay with Lorraine. And remember, you can check out video of today's performance over at Form's YouTube channel. You can find a link right on TalkHouse.com, and you can also find TalkHouse on your favorite social channel, Instagram, Facebook, we're on all of them. We've got some great backstage photos and videos from Forum there. Today's episode is recorded by Mark Yoshizumi with Danny Clifton and Ian Jones and co-produced by Mark Yoshizumi. TalkHouse's researcher for this episode was Madeline Falcus. Our theme song was composed and performed by The Range. Till next week, I'm Elia Einhorn. And I'm Josh Modell. Peace. Bye, y'all. Ha, <laughs> ha,